0: Thanks so much, Chris. Um, I don't take for granted the fact that you come out on a Monday night to listen to someone from Ontario, all right? So uh, I do not take that for granted, especially on the night of the election day for the province of Alberta. Um, and so, but I'm really glad we are here together right now. Um, one thing I know for sure, my theology says, apart from Christ, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, so if you really believe that, then that's what makes you want to pray more, right? Because if only God can do something, there's no point in me trying to do anything. To, I can't change a single thing, but the Lord can, and that's why we ask Him. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow myself before the Lord because it's just a physical posture of my dependence upon Him. But I'm gonna ask that you maybe want to lower yourself a little bit uh, right now to maybe a head bowed a little more, maybe hands cupped, just with a, a desire to hear from Him right now. Um, he sees that, and I think if our, our physical posture indicates what's in internal within us as well and I'm going to ask you to do this too I'm going to ask you to pray right now for yourself not for someone beside you right now it's as great as that might be or maybe someone who's not here just for yourself and just a simple prayer Lord would you speak to me do you understand that um, you do understand but it's good to be reminded God is real he loves you he created you and I assume for almost all of us here he saved you he loves you he wants more of you, and he wants to change you. He's that real, he's that personal, he's that intimate, he's that good. He is transcendent, but his imminence, he dwells with the, low, the lowly and the contrite, as we'll hear tonight. And so just, j- just to remind you again, we're not doing religion. This is a relationship with the living God, who has given everything you could possibly imagine out of love and grace for you and me. That's humbling, and so when we say, Lord, would you change me and believe that we're talking to a Father who actually listens? I try to encourage my team, the people I pastor to, when you pray, actually pray like he's listening. Not you're listening, he's listening. It makes a huge difference. Let me just do that now as we get started and just in the simplicity of this moment, Father, I, I do pray each one of us lowering ourselves before you and just in acknowledgement, you are God and we are not. You are a Father who cares for us infinitely more than we could ever imagine. You sent your very Son to die on the cross for us to bear the wrath of God and bear our punishment that we might have life and live forever. That is astoundingly awesome, that is the heart of the Gospel, and now to think, to think, if we are alive in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into your family, and therefore we will never, ever be cast out. We will never be lost. We will never, ever be forgotten. And the whole purpose of our lives now is to become more like Jesus Christ. So right now, Father, I pray, and you can pray right now where you are, that you would say to the Father who is listening, who loves you, Father, would you change me this evening? Uh, Jill and I did not come all the way from Ontario to here to go through the motions. We came here, Lord, to meet you, to encounter God. And so maybe there's a bit of faith rising even right now, just in people's hearts, maybe an expectation. This is true, God is real, he is awesome, he loves me. And his whole purpose for my life is for sanctification to become more like Jesus Christ. That's his will, 100%, that's his will. All these other aspects of life, whether or not it's your will, we know this, it's your will that we change. And so we pray your will be done right now. And Father, we need you so much. Would you speak through your word and would you be blessing your church this evening? We pray together in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say, Amen, amen, wonderful. Please, Lord, meet with us right now. If you could open your Bibles to um, Isaiah 66, that would be such an encouragement to me, Isaiah 66. And um, I just want to start off by saying this too. I'm not here to impress you this evening, praise the Lord for that, but I am here by the help of the Holy Spirit to convince you. I'm here to convince you of a few things. Isaiah 66, we're looking at the first couple of verses. I want to convince you in this prayer for revival, that there is a direction. there's a direction that we must go. And there are the same time, there are places that we must never, leave okay I want you to hear that again okay so the bible's going to tell us tonight there's a there's a there's a direction we must go towards the Lord but at the same time there's places that we must never leave because those are the places that God guarantees that he will bless us as we build our foundation again upon his truth and upon who he is another way to say it is like this there's a biblical vision which never gets old and there's a biblical vision which the Holy Spirit never ever tires of Filling. Uh, there's a song that is sung that will always be the delight of the Father, always. There are certain convictions that we hold that guarantees God will bless them. It's a huge, huge part of my life in ministry and how I want to lead is understanding there are aspects and characteristics and, and people we want to become. God says, I guarantee to bless that person. I guarantee. How do we know? Because His word says so. There are certain wells in life that never run dry. There are certain wells, when we uncover them, God will always cause us to overflow with living water upon our lives. We must know what those wells are that we can always make sure the enemy doesn't cover them up, our sin doesn't cover them up, and we're always uncovering them to see his blessing flow upon our lives. This is the wisdom that God gives us upon his word. And here's what's so important about these convictions, these wells, these promises the moment they are assumed. This is so important for the church in our day. So many churches in the things that we're gonna talk about today from God's word, on paper, we all agree. Churches have them written down on paper. And so many times when I'm preaching certain things or having conversations, the heads nod. Yes, we agree, but there's such a difference between a head nodding and a life living. There's such a difference to that. And if we assume that these wells are alive and active, the moment we assume it's happening, I think the moment we're done. This will be the difference between a church that is thriving in the power of God and a church that is barely hanging on and and, and going off into irrelevancy. This is the difference. It'll be those who understand you cannot assume these things in your life in your personhood, in your marriage, in your family, and you as a leader or your church family. You must, you must with diligence every day seek to fight this good fight of that which God says this is the person that I am going to look upon and I am going to dwell in. But I get it though, it's really, really hard, right? It It is so much easier as a pastor, trust me. So where I am at our church, we're literally 20 years since our core group started. And you're going to be one place, and, and I just thank the Lord for that. I think my, my wife, Jill is here, but they, the grace of God over 20 years. But let me just say, it is so tempting at times to give up from because here's what you do. you can get away with what's OK. And there's not many people that will accuse you of getting away with what's okay, but to actually go for what's best, to continue to die to self, to continue to take up your cross, to continue to fight for the passion found in Jesus Christ. For that to happen day in day out, that is exhausting in terms of the spiritual battle. We must fight to get there. That's why most of Christendom in our nation then is apathetic. Because it's so much easier to be lukewarm than to actually seek to fight your sin to actually go for Jesus Christ, to not settle for six out of 10, which is mostly everyone, but to actually go for more because that's what Christ died for, that we would pursue him and pursue his blessing and transformation within our lives. So every day is a fight, and that's why, again, this night, Chris, thanks for your leadership and for the Redemption Church and the leadership here. This is such a good thing, because we are seeking to reestablish the foundation that guarantees God's working and blessing within our lives. In some ways, this is ground zero, and ground zero is so beautiful to renew our minds for what matters most. I want you to think of it this way, too, okay? so. Um, a foundation to a building, we all know, is absolutely important. Do you know that the largest building in the world, I want, I want to put a picture up on the screen for you, this is called the Burj Khalifa, and that is in Dubai, that is the largest building in the world. A few stats, 160 floors, wow. Uh, over 800 meters tall, just think about that. Almost a kilometer tall in the air. Fastest elevator in the world, 65 kilometers an hour. It has a swimming pool, the highest swimming pool in the world, and the 76th floor. But think about a foundation for that building to stand. The Burj Khalifa, it took one year to pour the concrete for that building, an entire year of just pouring concrete, 110,000 tons. So what you see, which is above, which is causing this amazing structure to stand, a year and 110,000 tons of concrete to build a foundation that would allow that building to stand where it is today. If we don't have a foundation, we won't stand. This is what God's words wants to say to us today, beautifully, succinctly, and powerfully. Make sure your foundation is built in the Lord Jesus Christ and the person that he blesses. So let me look now, look at Isaiah 66. Check out verses one and two. We're gonna try to uh, soak this and wring it out for all it's worth here. Isaiah 66, verse one. Thus says the Lord, "'Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. "'What is the house that you would build for me? "'What is the place of my rest? "'All these things my hand has made, "'and so all these things came to be,' declares the Lord. "'But this is the one to whom I will look. "'Notice he who is humble and contrite in spirit,' and trembles at my word. So from this short, amazing text this evening, two critical convictions we will pull from the text right here, simple and yet profound. Conviction number one is this, okay? It's this, there is only one God. There is only one God. Some of you are like, you came all the way from Ontario to tell me that? Yes, I did, yes, I did. I told you I'm not here to impress you, but I am here to convince you and to convince you of this everlasting truth. Again, verse one, thus says the Lord, Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, love that, what is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? I believe one of the greatest insights right there from verse 1 is this, Let let us never ever think that we can put God in a box. Let us never think we can put God in a box. And in this case, literally, God says, what is the house that you would build for me, So know this about our God. Our God will not and cannot be contained. Look what he says there in verse one. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Heaven is my throne. So picture this literally in your mind. Heaven is my throne and the earth, I love Ottomans, okay? And the earth is my footstool. God says I use the earth, the place that you live and your little speck on here. That's the footstool of my glory, this is our God in his infinite capacity, wisdom, strength, and might. Amazing here. what is this? What is, what is God saying? What is the house you will build for me? This is not a call for the rejection of buildings. Rather, this is a call for the elevation of the Almighty. I mean, just consider the book of Isaiah. The central problem of the human race, according to the book of Isaiah, is that we love to exalt ourselves. The central problem of the human race is that we are obsessed with self-exaltation. Why do we do that? Why does the human race insist on exalting self? Well, because deep down we know we're frail and insecure and we know that we're unable. Deep down we know. So instead we try to, in our pride, prop ourselves up in the pursuit of power and even to the point all over our land now seeking to usurp God. Now think about that. Human beings trying to usurp God. The one whose throne, again, is heaven and the footstool is the earth. It's just the stupidity of man. Man is so proud and man is so dumb and human beings, again, can be so arrogant as if that's ever, ever going to happen. The foolish pride Again, that causes us to think we can become something. Listen, there's only one God. there's only one God. Listen and we're not it. But we are called, we are called to exalt and adore and serve this one God. Now look at verse two now. Look at verse two. All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So here's the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign king, the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the holy one, the great I am, the one we just sang about, holy, holy, holy. Think of the God who decides when nations rise, when nations fall, the God who reigns over the salvation of all people on the earth, the omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the one that will soon establish the new heavens and the new earth this awesome and almighty king says will you bring me a few stones as a gift will you bring me some stones to build a temple will you bring me some fine wood as a gift for me really really all these things my hand has made all these things came to be by my working and my glory he says see what god is doing he's like i created everything and you're going to come to me and offer this little something of something that i've already created God's like, you need something far greater than that. See, because in ourselves as human beings, we are longing for someone beyond ourselves. We'll never be enough. And listen, each other will never be enough. So I love what John Piper says. He says this, he's brilliant. He says, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to improve their self-esteem. No one goes to the Grand Canyon, I've been there, and looks out on the vast beauty and stands on the precipice of the edge and says, I am amazing. No one does that. Everyone goes to the Grand Canyon. Tomorrow, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go to the Rocky Mountains. I'm not going to go there and stand on the top of some hill and be like, look at me. I'm going to go, God is awesome. And the reason we long for that is because we long for someone Beyond ourselves, we are created with eternity within us. Our purpose is to worship, but not ourselves or each other. Our purpose is to worship the Holy One of God. And this is the message that God is sending to us right now. So you see what's happening here? You sense the profound wisdom that God is handing down. He says, don't ever seek to limit me to one location or to one work or to one specific strategy. God's not interested in the plans of man. God will not be forced into one stream of thought or methodology. See, people in the context here in Isaiah 66, they were trying to please God with their effort. That even comes out in, in verse three there. If you look at verse three, he's like, he who slaughters an ox is like a, one who kills a man. God's like, this is doing nothing for me. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He's like, you can keep trying to please me in this way. That's not what I'm looking for. God's like, I don't want your religion. Now, I don't know the exact context here in Alberta, but I know probably a little bit more than Ontario. And Ontario, man, dark days, dark times. I mean, where I pastor, there's, there's no cultural Christianity whatsoever. I mean, maybe there's always some, but it's hard to find. The danger in some of our lives, and maybe here and maybe in a little bit different way, maybe more, the idea that, again, that we're going to be religiously pursuing God without a heart that's being engaged, that is one of the great temptations. I don't know who's here tonight. God knows exactly who's here tonight. But the idea of a cultural Christianity, an idea of I do certain things, I go to church, I say some different prayers, I kind of be a good person in certain ways, but there's, there's not an actual affection for the Lord. There's not an actual transformation of heart. There's not an actual evidence of the Holy Spirit working and filling and moving. There's not an actual brokenness or humility. There's I can say the right things. We learn to do that, don't we? We can say Christian needs, we can do certain things. But has there actually been an engagement with the Lord where you know without a doubt that God is alive in you, working through you and bearing his fruit through your life? This is what he wants more than anything else. He doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. He wants heart. He wants transformation. He wants brokenness. He wants to see us truly who we are before him because when he has our hearts, he has everything else too. So this is the call of our day, which is so needed. We need to trumpet an old call that will unleash new power. What's fighting against this? The, the distractions of our day are many. The, the, the new calls are in abundance. We ourselves, again, in a time where the good, this is so important to you, where the good can so easily become the enemy of what is best. This is why, too, like as a church, as a leader, as an aspiring leader, A.W. A, a. Tozer said, no pastor, elder, church movement will ever rise higher than their idea of God. We will never go higher than our conception and our praise of God because this is what is most important. So this is where we start. There's only one God. He's awesome and glorious and so mighty and powerful and wise and infinite. And when we start there, we're blessed because this is where God starts. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Be convinced this is who God blesses. He blesses those who, who exalt him and his name. It's one of the great questions we ask ourselves too in our day, and I'm not sure again exactly where you're coming from. We want revival, but here's the question that's really penetrating but do we want God? Ask yourself this we want God's blessing, but do we actually want God? What is the definition of blessing? Not getting something from God. God is the definition of blessing. He himself is life. He himself is blessing. He himself is satisfaction. He himself is joy. We become more like Christ as we do that. That is the very gift of life. We want his blessing, but do we actually want God? There is only one God. That's conviction number one. Now we, with a bit of a foundation built there, now conviction number two there is only one that God will look to. There is only one that God will look to. So look at the second half of verse two now. I love this verse so much. He says, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Okay, now just consider what we just read there, okay? God just said this. He goes, but this is the one to whom I will look. The NIV says, this is the one whom I will esteem. Another translation says, this is the one whom I will bless. So this has to grab your attention, right? And if you're alive right now and alive in Christ and you care what God is doing, this has to grab your attention. It's one of these moments where you stop and pause and think for a second and you're just like, wait, 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 God's about to unpack the very person his gaze will be upon. That's a pretty big deal. Like if I'm you and we're reading this pen in hand, like ready to take notes and God's like, this is the one who I will bless. I'm like... Okay, whatever comes next is a big deal. Like Whatever he says next, this is something I don't want to forget for sure. So back at home at, at uh, in Oakville, Hope Oakville, this is where we would say, um, this is a wisdom moment, okay? Hey, the phone's ringing. It's wisdom. It's for you, okay? And the Holy Spirit wants you to pick it up right now because whatever comes next from this statement, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the wisdom for life. Is there anything else in life more important than what's coming next? That God says, this is the person that I guarantee to look upon, my gaze will be upon, and the one that I will bless. That's fairly significant. So I hope right now that you are excited to learn who is the person that God guarantees to bless. I think on this note too, just before we get there as well, I find it amazing sometimes how shocked and surprised we are. People, pastors, leaders of movements how shocked we can be when the Holy Spirit has been grieved in our lives or our leadership or our churches. There's a sense of bewilderment, like what has happened when all the while our pride is so obvious, our hearts have become hard and God's word has become so stale. We get surprised when God's spirit is quenched when we're filled with worldliness and sin starts to kind of seep into our lives and we have no affection for Jesus Christ. We're barely praying if we're praying at all. And we're like, God, where did you go? How come you're not blessing? He's like, well, it's so obvious Well, I'm not blessing you because the very things we're doing are nowhere near to the heart of God. See, this is where as a church, again, you to be very careful, we assume God's gaze, we assume God's favor, we assume God's exaltation. When we assume those things, that's when we're done. We have to realize where we've strayed and then return back to who God actually works in and who God blesses. Then we're also surprised in life when God disciplines us. We're surprised as it's chasing. We're surprised when life all of a sudden gets difficult and God's designed to love us by making life hard to call us back to himself. It's one of the greatest things God can do for us is to help us understand again how much we need so discipline enters into our lives. And this is when the Lord brings his word and love and grace and he says, hey, hey, child, he says, this is the one to whom I will look. So let us not assume, let us humble ourselves with a teachable heart. And what follows now are three absolutely beautiful expressions and truths of who the Lord esteems. What follows here, church, loved ones, what follows here now? Character traits God guarantees to bless. Verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. First of all, the humble. He or she who is humble. Look at the word humble there. The word humble means poor or afflicted. It often refers to, quote, an oppressed person. This carries the meaning of those who are not proud or arrogant in spirit, but they realize their deep dependence on God. So the humble are those who sense they are unworthy to come into God's presence. The humble understand they owe everything to the Lord. Is it any wonder, okay, so the greatest sermon ever given Which is the greatest sermon ever given? Not this one tonight. I'll tell you that much, okay? Greatest sermon ever given is? Don't be afraid. Yep, Sermon on the Mount, given by the greatest person who ever lived on earth, Jesus Christ. How does the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest person who ever walked the earth, how does that sermon begin? It begins with the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be spiritually bankrupt. It means to know that you on your own, me by myself, have absolutely nothing to offer to God. On our own, we are depraved. On our own, we are bankrupt in our sinfulness. There's nowhere we can get. Jesus says, the greatest sermon ever given by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, blessed, happy, fulfilled are those who are spiritually bankrupt in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The most blessed will be those who are most pursuing humility and know the reason why they're doing it. Amazing to me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why does Jesus start that sermon with all the other exhortations coming in the sermon? Why does he begin there with character? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted. All those things are massive character deposits. Why? Because he knows character comes before competency. If you don't have character, You're not gonna be competent and be able to see the blessing of God as you go through to see obedience within our lives. The foundation of character is everything. Character before everything. God says, this is the one to whom I will look. Think about it, the humility attract God's presence. The humble attract God's gaze. It's It's not gifting, it's not competency. It's a level of humility and and unworthiness before the Lord. No wonder in Peter's exhortation in 1 Peter 5, he says again to the church, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Why would Peter say say that? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Why? Because water always fills the lowest places. On the way here today, I drove by a, a water retention pond, storm retention pond, There's a warning not to go in because the water can rush in. I guess you guys see that often throughout the year, whatever it happens, whatever. Water always fills the lowest places. The living water of God will always find its way to the lowest places for those who are humble of heart. The living water of Christ fills those who get low. What do you think is the greatest virtue taught in the New Testament, either by precept or example? The greatest virtue taught in the New Testament by precept or example is love 50 times. What do you think is second? Second is humility, taught by precept or example about 40 times. You put these two virtues together, love and humility, that's all of life. Love and humility brought together, that is a person living with the power of God upon them. This is why Andrew Murray said this. I think it's on the screen for you. He said, humility is the mother virtue, your very first duty before God, the one safeguard of the soul. Set your heart upon it as the source of all blessing. Love that, that's humility. Humility the one safeguard of the soul, and set your heart upon humility, again, as the source of all blessing. God looks to the humble. So every day, multiple times a day, we have two choices we can make when it comes to humility and pride. Every day, in fact, many of us will have the opportunity after even now, today, and tons of times tomorrow and as the week goes on. You have the chance to choose door number A, which is humility, or you can choose door number B, which is pride. What God says is every time you choose door A humility, God says, I promise I will bless you there. I guarantee every time you make a decision to walk in humility, you promise you will be blessed. Doesn't mean you'll be exalted in the eyes of other people around you, but in the eyes of God, you'll be blessed. Every single time you walk through the door of pride, you will lose. I've thought of this so many times in my marriage. My wife Jill's here, of course. I'm really excited about that. And but it's amazing how many times in the context of marriage you can be sitting there and you are in a moment where you are frustrated you are filled with temptation you have sin rising up and the doors see as you grow in Christ this is what you start to learn so much as you grow in Christ you're about to do something and walk through say something sinful say something hurtful say something to garner attention blame Jill you know say that that she's the reason whatever it and the door of pride is right there and you're so excited to walk through it you're all ready to do it because you're like, I'm in the right, she's in the wrong and I'm going to walk through and the Holy Spirit, as you grow in Christ, you're like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, time, time time He's always gentle. He's like, Shh, stop, stop it. Rah, 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 rah. What you're about to do, you, you can do it. I won't stop you but that's a door of pride. I guarantee if you do that, you will lose but Lord, I, I feel like I'm in the right here. I mean, I deserve this right now. He's like, you might think what you want to think but every time you walk through that door of pride, you will lose guaranteed but if you choose to humble yourself, And if you choose to repent and and seek forgiveness, you can go through the door of humility, and I promise you, you will win. But God, it doesn't feel like I'm gonna win. I know, but you will. But God, that means that I'm gonna have to admit stuff that I don't wanna, I know, but that's when you win. But God, it's not the way I wanna go. I know, I know, I know. It's my way, Robbie, it's not your way. It's a choice of wisdom and faith and humility, and I guarantee that you will be blessed. In fact, Robbie, when you walk through the door of humility, I promise you, you've just decided to make your marriage better. Every single time, because God blesses humility. Every single time you walk through the door of pride, let's say in the context of marriage, you've just chosen to make your marriage worse because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You and I will have many, many decisions between those doors. And as you grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will stop you and you will have your decision Do I want to lose or do I want to win? Do I want to be opposed by God or do I want to be exalted by God? In some ways it's that simple, it's that profound and it's that meaningful. God looks to those who are humble. Secondly, God looks to those who are broken. Love this so much. Look at verse two again. But this is the one to whom I will look who is humble and contrite in spirit. Okay, so contrite in spirit there. The adjective contrite is only used three times in the Old Testament. It literally means crippled of feet. So imagine that, okay? So the root of contrite, it can mean he's smote. So contrite is you've been struck, you've been crippled, and you know you need help. Picture it that way. He's been smote, crippled, and you know you're in agony, you're broken, and you need help. This is the one the Lord will look to, is what the text says to us today. The one the Lord looks to is the one who is busted up and desperate for help. Fascinating. Such a powerful theme all through scripture. Amazing to me. This is in Luke chapter 22 where I'm convinced this is the absolute turning point of the apostle Peter's life. Remember Luke 22, Peter says, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I will even die for you. And then Jesus says, for the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. I'll never, ever, ever do that. And we know how the story unfolds. Luke's gospel is amazing because as the rooster crows and Peter denies the third time and the rooster crows, Luke's gospel says that as the rooster crowed and Peter understood what happened and he said it would never happen, Jesus in the courtyard stands and turns and looks and set eyes and gaze, the eyes of Peter and Jesus meet. You can look it up in Luke's Gospel. Just an amazing description. Jesus, and somewhere, wherever he was, in some able to look, turn, and look into the eyes of Peter. And here's Peter over here. Peter, I'll never do that to you. I will always, be, I will die for you. And he, he denied the Son of God to a servant girl of all people. And here he is, and all his pride was happening. And he sets eyes upon his Savior. And Jesus looks at him. And there, as the rooster crows, imagine the level of devastation and brokenness that would come upon Peter in that moment. Like, live in the text. Can you imagine the grief, the sorrow, the devastation? Can you imagine the regret? And here's the thing about, like, like, like Friday gets a lot of press, and it should. Sunday gets a lot of press, and it should. What about Friday night and Saturday? The longest day of Peter's life. He didn't know it was gonna happen. You know that he didn't know Sunday was coming in the way that it was. So imagine then when Sunday does come. Imagine then when Peter all of a sudden is filled with the hope of glory, that the reality Jesus Christ is not dead, is alive. And then no wonder that in John 21, when Peter's in the boat and Jesus is on the shore and Peter recognizes that it's Jesus And the text says that Peter flung his thing on and jumped in the water and swam as fast as he could to get to Jesus Christ because at that moment he would be restored back to Jesus from his utter devastation and brokenness to be restored in forgiveness back to Jesus Christ. And Jesus turns to Peter and asks him three times, do you love me? See what I'm saying to you, the greatest, most devastating event in the life of the apostle Peter was likely that weekend where he denied his Savior and was utterly broken, he would never be the same again. And the moment he's restored to his Savior, Jesus Christ, he becomes a leader of the church, as we know. He preaches the first sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. The Holy Spirit comes in. We know all that's awesome, 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 awesome. You will never, ever overstate the power of brokenness in someone's life. I, the Lord is near to the broken heart. It saves the crushed in spirit. The sacrifices of God are broken and contrite. heart. oh God, you will not despise. Again, God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who are broken. It's amazing to me, the sinful woman in Luke 7, the sinful woman absolutely devastated. The woman, again, of the city and prostitution probably, and there she is, weeping with tears over Jesus, wiping her, he could not care less. And Jesus uses her example, and Jesus says, again, in a like story in Mark's gospel, that whenever the gospel, gospel is preached, and this is a different situation, but very, very similar. Wherever the gospel is preached, this will be said of her, the one who wept and anointed Jesus with her brokenness and tears. You know, Jesus didn't say that with any other story in the New Testament or in the gospels. Wherever the gospel is preached, the story of the woman weeping at the feet of Jesus Christ in her brokenness. That's how much brokenness means to Jesus. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you've been You've been sincerely broken before the Lord. When's the last night? Has it been a while? Has Has it been ever? Let me talk to the men here. There's a lot of men in their pride fear brokenness like crazy because brokenness seems like it's weakness. And so they don't, they don't admit they're not vulnerable, they're not willing to confess, and they try to pretend everything is all good and they have it all together. Listen, men, man, you know and I know you don't have it all together. If you really see yourself as you are, as I see myself, we're dead without Jesus Christ, we can't do it. We're broken. Why don't we just admit to what God already knows perfectly and allow ourselves to humble ourselves and to receive the grace and the love and maybe the power of God upon our lives in a way that we've never seen before. Does this apply to the women? 100%, of course it does but to understand how beautiful brokenness is to the Lord. I can't get over it personally. I can't get over how special, how beautiful, how sacred a level of contrition and brokenness is before the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't get over in my ministry how often when things get difficult as much as I want them to be easy, but the Lord allows it as recently as yesterday. Yesterday, just busted in front of the whole church because I'm so aware of my inability, I'm so aware of my limited strength, I'm so aware of what I can't do! It's devastating! And then the Lord comes and His grace is found, and then there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And this is why God, again, again, I need us to see tonight that God is not trying to make this a secret. Here's the person I bless. I bless the humble and I bless the contrite in spirit. If we refuse humility and we refuse brokenness in our lives, we're refusing God's blessing. It's that simple. We're refusing God's exaltation. We're refusing his strength and power. I just hope I'm pleading with you as I'm pleading with my own heart on a daily basis. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one that the Lord looks to. No wonder, Tozer said, Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly unless he has hurt him deeply. John Piper said, with great spiritual privilege comes great pain. Brokenness is so beautiful. So consider, like, it's amazing to me right here in this one phrase, God is asking us, he's looking for a movement of crippled people Kind of literally in our text. Isn't that amazing? He's looking for a movement of crippled people. You know when people say Christianity is a crutch? I'm like, no, it's not. It's way worse than that. I mean, come on. Christianity is a crutch. No, it's more like a wheelchair. No, 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 it's worse than that. It's like the ICU, right? But even worse than that, if your theology is right, true Christianity means we're corpses, We are dead in our sin. We need to be raised from the dead. It's way worse than being a crutch. Christianity is, I don't have a pulse on my own. Wow, do I need Jesus Christ? He's looking for crippled people. In large portions of the church, he's not finding many. Maybe you can lead the way. Maybe you'll be the first in your group or maybe even in your church, be the first to be willing to believe in the beauty and power of brokenness and to say God is looking for moon to cripple people because that's when he does his best work. It's all over scripture all of the time, all over the place. Every single chapter, there's elements of brokenness and how God uses this. It's just amazing to see. He wants to fill those people. You know, Henry Blackenby, he said this, there's no greater source of influence for spiritual leaders than the manifest presence of God in their lives. That's awesome. No greater source of spiritual influence than the manifest presence of God in their lives. And the manifest presence of God comes upon the humble and the broken. God looks to the humble. God looks to the broken. And thirdly, God looks to the reverent. Look at the end of verse two there. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isn't that beautiful? Trembles at my word. So we live in a day across this nation where so many are capitulating to culture instead of God's word. We live in a day right now where so many are living in compromise. They're compromising the truth in order to be more liked by people around them. I feel the temptation all the time too. We live in a day where so many people are caving into what the school board says, what the government's trying to get us to do, what the friend at school might be saying. We live in a day where this is happening way too much and happening way too much in the church. If we cave to culture, if we capitulate to culture, I'm not talking about beating people up with the Bible. I'm talking about being, being faithful to the truth of God's word and love and grace and humility, but at the same time not losing our conviction for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we lose that, we lose everything. We lose the truth, we, we lose everything. Look what he says. I look at the person who trembles at my word. With humility and grace and love, but who trembles at my word. What a call for us today, eh? A nation found on the principles of God, a nation that is spitting in the face of God all over the place. But here we see, this is the one to whom I will look. He who remains, who's steadfast, who's faithful, who perseveres, who does not give up, who will not capitulate, who does not cave, in love and grace, I want to keep saying that, in love and grace and humility and character and integrity, but stands on the word of God because this is the person to whom God looks. Wow, that's exciting. Who trembles at his word. This is the church God looks to. This is the pastor God looks to. This is the leader God looks to. These are the people that God looks to. This is the one to whom I will look, who is humble and contrite and reverent, who trembles at my word. My Jesus Christ said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is. Is truth Again, without the word, without God's word, we have no chance and we lose everything. So I love this text so much. I've always loved it so much. I just, I love when God is so clear. In some ways, could he be more clear tonight? And so um, back at home, we're just about to finish a series in James. And one of the main verses in James is, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. See, this is the moment of wisdom, friends. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight, by the way. I'm so thankful. I thank you for your attention. I see your diligence and your wanting to hear what God says through his word or whatever. But I just love right now that he is so clear. And now the question is, what will I do about it? Will I hear this right now and see the clarity of it and just be like, oh, that's nice. There's some good stuff there and just walk away. Nothing changes. Or will I allow the Lord to peer into my heart right now and to understand He is awesome. There's one God, and there's one that God looks to. Do I desire to move in the direction of the one that God looks to? Wisdom says, "Ah, yes, yes, I will. The Holy Spirit's like, do it, do it, do it. The flesh is like, forget it, forget it, forget it. Satan's like terrified of it. He's terrified of it. But again, the Holy Spirit, and I pray, in us is like, yes, this is the one to whom I will look. God help us. Amen, church? God help us. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. I think we're going to respond with a song or two right now. and hey, maybe just taking a moment right now in your heart and to be quiet where you are before the Lord and just to consider what has the Lord said to me so clearly today, this evening, right now in this moment. And now what do I say to the Lord in terms of what I'm going to do in response? What needs to change in my life? What needs to go in my life? What sin needs to be repented of? What habit needs to be altered? What relationship needs to be changed? What attitude needs to be forgiven? What person do I need to go and ask for forgiveness for? What act of humility can I pursue? What area of brokenness do I finally need to surrender to? What pride do I need to forsake? How can I stand with trembling at the word of God within my life right now? Where has this not happened? Where can it happen? So much here for us. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak and I pray you'd lead and and I pray for for Redemption Church and the churches that could be represented here right now. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, they would be wonderful, beautiful people that you will look to. Yes, Lord, you will grace, you will favor, you will strengthen, you will empower, you will move in those men and women and children who are humble and broken and who tremble at your word. And that it might be hard, but it's going to be good. It's going to be so good because it guarantees your blessing. We beg you for wisdom. We beg you to move in our hearts. We beg you for transformation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.